And welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. It is Thanksgiving week. I am your host, Stephen Weed, of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My main man, Walter Lukashetsky. Before I toss it to him, I do want you to know that this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. TabEase, T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that first order and free shipping. Like I said, Wally, it's Thanksgiving week. We're both big boys. This is our holiday. We don't get shamed on having large plates of food multiple times throughout the day and eating leftovers, stuffing our face. How are you and what plate and what dessert are you looking most forward to, sir? It's amazing that you have forgotten this about me because I think it's one of the things that people hate most about when they me when they get to know me. So I don't like Thanksgiving. I'm not a big Thanksgiving guy because the actual traditional Thanksgiving food, I think is just average and we make a big deal out of it. And finally, I was able to convince my family to go into this, we make whatever we want Thanksgiving. So now I really like it. So like, we're going to have pierogies. We're going to have kolbas. We're going to have mashed potatoes, a bunch of things. It's like a smorgasbord of picks. So Dessert, I actually, I've got this one. I love it. It's called Tiger Butter I make. It is Hershey's chocolate, white chocolate, both. So it's got a little of, of each. You mix it with Rice Krispies and peanut butter and throw it in the freezer. And it kind of becomes this peanut buttery chocolate crunchy fudge. And I love doing that at Thanksgiving and Christmas time. But beyond that, man, I, I don't know. I'm pretty excited. I have my friend Matt Gasper. He's actually gets leave from Fort Bragg down there in what North Carolina, I believe. And he's coming up for the weekend. So that'll be a really fun opportunity. And naturally, I'm sure a lot of you know, I'm a diehard Ohio State fan. And this is the week that I freaking live for. It's hate week. It's rivalry week. It's Michigan week. And I couldn't be happier, Stephen. I know that was a long-winded answer, but that's just a little bit of what's going over on, on my end. How are you doing this Thanksgiving week? And I want to hear your same thing. You were all high and excited about it. What's the food of choice for you? Yeah, you really kind of just completely killed the vibe here. Like, I get it. I'm not I'm not eating traditional Thanksgiving food as well, but I love stuffings. You can't fuck with mashed potatoes. If you if you like the cranberries, you're kind of a psycho. I've I heard candy yams. No. You know, give me a steak. The girlfriend's family likes to do a little steak. Little lobster, a little bit of crab. They like to do that on both the holidays. So whatever I get to stuff my face with, as long as it's red meat, a.k.a. steak, I am okay. For dessert, gotta go. Love me some pumpkin pie. I love cheesecake. Add the two, pumpkin cheesecake. My favorite dessert. Already got some from the grocery store here. Uh, got one of the little mini ones. Don't worry, I already housed it. Also, don't worry, there's a second one in the fridge. That's not going anywhere. That's strictly for Papa. But the main reason I love football, yes, we have the Thursday night games. But for Thanksgiving, we get three Thursday games. Getting fat, drinking beer, watching football. That's American right there. And I cannot wait for it. You're right. And if there is something that I do love about the Thanksgiving holiday, it's without a doubt the football that you get. And I do like the excuse to see family. And that is a really cool thing. That avenue of Thanksgiving, I understand why people like it. So not poo-pooing that necessarily. Yeah, it's just a great, what, four or five days because Thursday you have those three NFL games and then on Friday there's college football throughout the day. 
Saturday, huge rivalry games throughout the day. Like I said, it's Ohio State-Michigan, and then you have the Iron Bowl with Alabama-Auburn, and both of those games actually have meaning this year on top of the fan bases. So this is just arguably the best football week of the year, man, and I couldn't be happier that it is here. Like you said, you get to hang out with family. Hopefully everyone is vaccinated. You get to hang out with their family. Because there was a lot of question marks here this past week about a fake vaccination card and a wide receiver by the name of Antonio Brown in the possession of one. So there's a little bit of drama, I guess, with his ex-personal trainer who's having some animosity animosity towards him. They're having a tiff right now. He went out in public and said Antonio Brown had a fake vaccination card so he was able to kind of slide underneath the radar of the NFL protocols of what of what they have in place for COVID right now. Ends up NFL does an investigation. Nothing comes about it. It's not fake. The guy claims that AB's girlfriend being cocky and showing off the fake vaccination card they have like she was a 19-year-old with a fake ID. Allegedly, ends up kind of being brushed under the rug. Nothing really comes about it. But we were talking about it off off air here. It's Antonio Brown. This fits the mold of him perfectly with his track record over the past couple seasons. Yeah, and if there was somebody that you were going to believe this without doing any due diligence of your own right, it was A.B. And that's why when this came out, I think a lot of people, myself included, I'm not too proud to say it. I definitely thought it was true. I mean, after everything that he's got himself involved in the last four or five years, all the way back even to the Pittsburgh days, it's the whole if there's smoke, there's fire. And I don't know if you could even see your hand five inches in front of you right now with all the smoke that we've seen with him in the last five years. Happy that he's actually vaccinated. It sounds like one of the first intelligent decisions he's made as an NFL player. And I don't know. From there, it's it's an interesting story. Just more AB. I, I, I'm over him, man. Why? That felt so personal. Why would you be over him? I thought you would like him, being the Pittsburgh guy that you are. I hate you so much. Genuinely. And I don't blame you at all. With that, we're not going to waste any time here, Walter. We're getting right into the hair of the dog. We're going to get through all the games that we don't really want to talk about. A couple highlights from each. We're going to keep moving along. The Thursday night game to kick off week 11 last week was the Patriots suffocating the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta. It was a snoozer, 25-0. They had their control of the game throughout the duration of it. Mac Jones going 22 of 26, 207 yards, one touchdown. And their defense just really dominated the Falcons. They held Atlanta to 165 total yards, four turnovers, sacked Matt Ryan four times. The second consecutive game without scoring a touchdown. That's eight straight quarters for this Matt Ryan-led Atlanta Falcons offense. They're looking bad. No Calvin Ridley. No Cordero Patterson. Man, but this New England team, now the number one team in the AFC East, looks like they're hitting their stride, and you cannot fuck with this defense because they are real and they're here to stay. And Mac Joe's not looking solid on the offensive side of the ball. This is a team that knows who they are. We've been saying it now for a couple weeks that they're just fundamental. We finally have kind of gotten to see Bill Belichick get his stamp on a team after Tom Brady. And it's kind of a similar team that we saw that win a few Super Bowls with Tom Brady four or five years ago with a very good defense and an offense that's just responsible to not turn the ball over. And right now, that's what this New England team is doing. We're talking about they've allowed 13 total points in the last three games. That's like a point a quarter. It's absurd what they've done. 
And Mac Jones, I, I mean, I understand. Stat line wasn't exactly sexy, but this is a guy who throws four incompletions and 26 attempts. He's doing what you want to do, especially against a team like the Falcons, where you know it's just, if you possess the ball, game over. Atlanta's a dumpster fire. Cordero Patterson being gone. Talk about a guy that made himself a lot of money at a late stage of his career. I hope he takes his time coming back. Last thing we need is him to get hurt, and we don't get to see him at this level again. And in our next game, it, I mean, naturally, the first thing I have to bring up is Jonathan Taylor. He dominated the Buffalo Bills, scoring five touchdowns, four on the ground, one through the air. The Colts had four takeaways in this game and had a whole quarter better in time of possession here. It's an interesting dynamic this game had, Steven. I'm going to throw it to you real quick, where you have the Colts all of a sudden playing themselves not only back into the AFC wildcard race, they're only technically two games back. Really, it's three of the Titans because of the tiebreaker. Do you really think that they could play themselves back into this with the Titans injuries and how well the Colts are playing right now? Jonathan Taylor. Insane. This guy has been on a tear the last eight games. No less than 100. I want to say like 114 rushing yards. At least one touchdown in each of those eight games. And that's a sprinkled of multiple two touchdown games. This five touchdown game. He should be making a case for MVP for this year. I feel like the quarterback, the quarterback's just, there's not a clear one. He got Tom Brady, then there's just a bunch of other guys. Jonathan Taylor is running himself right into an MVP race, something similar I was saying about Derrick Henry here last year. The Bills, they need a they need a running game. They need to fix on fix this offensive line. They needed it fixed yesterday. To answer your question, I do see the Colts being able to play themselves and run themselves, not into winning the division, but getting very close. I think the deciding factor of those two early losses to the Tennessee Titans before the halfway point of the season. But I think in the wild card, and I do not want to play this team. They have a solid defense. Jonathan Taylor, as long as you know, as long as he's staying healthy, can run the ball. They, they also still have Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines in that backfield as well. Naheem Hines can be a stud when they whenever they want to deploy him, but why not when you have Jonathan Taylor running rampant across the NFL right now? I wouldn't want to play this Colts team. They are hot, winning five of six, and they don't even need Carson Wentz to be that quarterback for him. He's just a solid. I'll throw a couple touchdowns here, 150 yards, but he's not going to win in the passing game. As long as JT is healthy, this Colts team can do a lot of damage, and I expect them to be a playoff team in the wild card hunt. The team we mentioned before that had a three-game lead on this surging Colts team, the Tennessee Titans lose in a shocker of a game to the Houston Texans, who have only won their second game this year. A.J. Brown knocked out early with a chest injury here. X-rays did come back negative on any rib damage. They're looking to get more tests. Tannehill throwing four interceptions. He was sacked twice, a 19.2 QBR on 35 of 52 passing and 323 yards. They lost this turnover battle 5 to nothing. Tyrod with only 107 passing yards, and this offense combining for 287 rushing yards with two touchdowns. Houston only put up 190 total yards and came out victorious in this game. Yes, we know Tennessee is not the same team without Derrick Henry, but man, we did not expect them offensively to just fall off a cliff like this. So now I know we kind of talked about the Colts. I want to get what what your full take is. Obviously, Tennessee, you're fucked. You were in the driver's seat with, with how easy the schedule is down the stretch. I don't see you holding on to the one seed. 
Can you see them falling all the way out of the wild card spot or at least out of the first place in the division? It's going to be really difficult to see the Colts catch them for the simple fact that they waited too late to get this momentum going. I mean, you're looking at a Titans team now in their final six games. They have Miami, Jacksonville, and Houston. If you win those three games, effectively all you need is the Colts to lose a single game the rest of the year or the Titans to win one of their three other games. And there were a few winnable in there. I think they play Pittsburgh for one. And those are games that the Titans can win, especially if they get healthy. So I think it's just a little too late for the Colts. But you said it like before, they're going to get themselves in a wild card. Titans, their one seed dreams I think are dead with the injuries. But I think they're going to be okay with that. They just want to get healthy and give themselves a shot come playoff time. And here's my blazing hot take of the day for you. It won't happen. I'm not saying that I think it will happen. I'm saying that I think it should. The Derrick Henry absence has been so clearly, just hugely impactful for this Titans team. And I think that it's, if anything, it's proved that he is the most valuable player in the league. You take him away, and this team is a non-factor against the Houston Texans. This offense completely disappeared, or at least took them away, excuse me. I just, if there was a, 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 a an absence, an injury that really said that somebody should be proven the most valuable player. We do it for quarterbacks. I don't know why we don't say it for Derrick Henry. The guy's unbelievable. Jonathan Taylor should at least be in the mix, like you said. But we shouldn't forget about Derrick Henry, especially if he does manage to get back late in the year and help clinch that division. Let us know what you think about that out there, if there's other Derrick Henry stands. I know that, what, Steven has been even high on him this year, so we'll definitely keep an eye on him. Hopefully he gets back soon. The Titans are significantly more fun when he's healthy. And speaking of being significantly more fun when a team is healthy, Lamar Jackson missing his game for the Baltimore Ravens against the Chicago Bears. And I know Ravens fans have heard this one before, but Andy Dalton, the Baltimore Raven killer, almost got the job done. It it took a Tyler Huntley last couple-minute game-winning touchdown drive to win this game for this team. It's surprising to see the Ravens, I guess, struggle with teams like this. But without Lamar, I guess it, you make a little bit more sense of it. You see videos, too. I saw you put one on Twitter earlier where you have fans chanting at high school football games, even, that Matt Nagy needs to get fired. If I'm a Bears fan, I want that to happen. I will willingly say, hey, Justin Fields, get healthy. Protect your ribs. Let's hopefully get rid of these goons in what the top of the Chicago Bears, and let's just try again in February, March, a full off season with a new coach, a new GM. And I, I don't know. I just feel like that's the natural thing that we should be wanting as a Bears fan. But you're the NFC North guy. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So I'd have to go look at it again. Apparently that was Nagy's kids football game that they were chanting that at, which is, that is so savage. My goodness. Just no, oh, what, what's the saying? Just no regard of human life when it comes to the Chicago Bears over there. So just ruthless. This is bad. Khalil Mack, not, you know, with the season-ending injury that he established last last week with season-ending surgery, this defense missed him. You have Tyler Huntley going 26 of 36 for 219, adding 40 rushing yards. And then Devontae Freeman adding 80 yards in his game-winning touchdown here. This is bad. Anything the Bears need to focus on that O-line. 
Justin Fields only being able to throw 11 times in here for 79 yards. You got Andy Dalton coming in here. This team is bad. There's rumors circulating that Matt Nagy's going to be fired after the game on Thursday. Ryan Pace, you're most likely gone after that. I wonder who's going to be their number one coaching candidate for it. I hope it's going to be someone shitty because I never want to see Chicago good. This team is dead in the water. And the Ravens, they are escape artists. This is what they do. They, they are the cardiac kids. They will have the last second drive if it's either kicking a game-winning field goal, setting an NFL record of the longest field goal kick at 66 yards, having Tyler Huntley drive down and win the game for you in the fourth quarter. At the end of the day, you got to give kudos to the coaching staff. This is a well-coached football team with or without Lamar Jackson in there. And look at that. He still got a W. Lamar got a, a week of rest. Yes, he was sick, which it seems like he's sick about two or three times every season. Nonetheless, he got the win. They seem to be in the driver's seat in the AFC North here, coming up with a battle with the Browns two of the next three weeks. Bye, Chicago. You guys are donezo. Have you seen Friday Night Lights by chance? Movie, yes. Show, no. There is a booster for the high school team in the show. And he's got that hard southern draw. And credit to you, you never have an accent, I feel like. You've kind of just absorbed whatever we have in this Midwest, Mid-Atlantic kind of feel. But your W, or however you said W, it was... I just had to say that. I loved it. I, I, I had You reminded me of Buddy, the booster, from Friday Night Lights. That's why I had to bring it up. I've always had a very neutral accent. But then when it some letters or words or the way they come off... I'll, the, the Southern draw might come out there a little bit, Wally. So you must excuse me, sir. I'm, I do apologize. Oh, that's perfect. No, that's true. Yeah, trust me. You'll never get someone bitching about an accent, especially with the yins and the ons and all that over here in Pittsburgh. We'll keep it in the division here. The Cleveland Browns, they squeak away. My God, this was embarrassing. They squeak away against the Tim Boyle-led Lions. Winning the game 13 to 10. The only reason I know Tim Boyles because he was on Green Bay's roster for about three or four years. Practice squad guy, always behind Aaron Rodgers. But Baker, 15 to 29, 176, one touchdown, two interceptions, your boy. But Nick Chubb coming back, 24 touches with 144 yards, one touchdown, 130 of those yards came on the ground against the third worst rushing defense. But Tim Boyle, 77 yards, two picks. And on the other running back, DeAndre Swift, 14 touches, 136 yards with one touchdown. The Browns just need to be more consistent on the offense if if that's with or without Nick Chubb. It can't be this clear that Nick Chubb is that guy in your offense that makes it click. Baker needs to be more consistent. And you can't beat the Lions. Jared Goff, less Lions by three points. What is the panic meter on in Cleveland right now? And man, Detroit still can't get it right. It's weird, too. I want to start with this, just a weird stat, where if you think about it, the Lions, for whatever reason, have played the AFC North really hard this year. They tied the Steelers. They lose to the Ravens by two when they should have beat them, and Justin Tucker had to hit a 66-yard NFL record field goal. Then you obviously get housed by the Bengals, but this was a game that, until late in the third quarter, it had no feelings of being a game, just a game that the Browns would kind of bleed the Lions to death. It was 13-0 before a DeAndre Swift touchdown run that John Johnson, I want to say it was, 
I was watching with my buddies over in Northeast Ohio this last weekend. Had an awesome time there. But they were all laughing just like I was, where he kind of did a Teddy Bridgewater business decision not tackling a running back as a, a starting safety in the NFL. You can't do that. I understand these kind of corners, the secondary pieces. You're smaller. You don't want to be lowering the shoulder against a running back at full speed. But that's why you get paid the big bucks. You have to do it. And the Browns signed you, brought you in to make plays like that. Instead, the Lions end up having a chance to actually win this game late, which was bizarre because you said it. Tim Boyle was terrible. And I, I do want to point out, saying the Jared Goff-less Lions, it's not exactly like they're missing out on this marquee piece. But I agree, it is a fall-off. Tim Boyle's terrible. You never thought you'd actually have a fall-off when Jared Goff is your starting quarterback, but that's how I wanted to describe the fall-off. What you didn't think was there was actually there. And man, but then you put him set, like Jared Goff had the same amount of yards, I feel like on this maybe a couple less attempts of passing the week before against Pittsburgh. So maybe not really a fall-off. Maybe a plateau of some sort. For whatever you want to call it, 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 the offense in Detroit is going to be the reason why they might go winless. That's going to be the reason that it happens if it does. But it's weird to say this about a team that has no wins going into Thanksgiving. But Dan Campbell has his team playing so hard against at least quality-ish teams. And that's something that you at least have to hang your hat on in a difficult year like this. That at least you feel like you have the right coach. You just have to give it time now. But the Browns, I I do want to say, this is kind of like the Raiders' twin team. And I think it's partially why I always come to the Baker-Mayfield defense so quickly, a lot like Derek Carr. There's not really any wide-receiving threats now on this team. Jarvis Landry's been all but taken away. And just to give you an idea, this team has only 18 catches by wide receivers since the OBJ departure three games ago. I mean, that's... That's unbelievable. I just don't understand how, like, people are so quick to immediately, and it it's, comes with the territory at the quarterback position in the NFL. We know that it's it's the most highly criticized, highly rewarded, if you're doing well, position in sports. You make a billion dollars, it seems like. So, Baker deserves criticism. I'm not saying he doesn't. But right now, when he has guys that are just blanketed, there's... Tight windows are getting tighter. I just, it, it's tough. I, I'm watching, it's the same thing's going on with the Raiders. If the guys aren't open, I don't care if you are the greatest accuracy quarterback of all time, you're throwing into impossible windows sometimes. So I just, it is sad to see what's going on right now in Cleveland. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again. I, I don't think that this team is going to even come close to sniffing the playoffs now. And speaking of not sniffing the playoffs, This next game, we're going to probably blow through this in two seconds. The Dolphins beat the Joe Flacco-led Jets 24-17 with a late touchdown. Only two takeaways. I have one for each team real quick. One, Tua. I know that he wasn't throwing the ball downfield a lot, but against the Jets, you really didn't have to. He was very efficient in this game. 27-33, of 273, two touchdowns and a pick. I'm at least starting to soften on him. I've been really critical I want to see more of it against higher quality opponents, but at least it's encouraging. And then for the Jets, Elijah Moore is a dog. If you're in a losing effort, the way this team has played, at least the offense is starting to put together a few drives this last month because the defense is one of the worst I've ever seen. It's 
I, I think they get buried because everybody forgets about the Jets because they already got that win and winless teams you, you tend to focus on more. But ever since they got that win, I think they're giving up 30-plus points 75% of the games they play. It's absurd. And then you're seeing 40s and 50 burgers dropped on them too. So just miserable all the way around. Elijah Moore coming on a little bit later than I was hoping and anticipating. I had him as my early offensive rookie of the year pick. That one's not going to pan out. But like you said, he's a dog. That was a great touchdown that he had. He just was burning everybody. Joe Flacco back at the helm. But Zach Wilson is expected to start here against the Houston Texans. We'll talk about that here a little bit later in our gambling segment. Tuba is the best option at quarterback for this team. I will give him that. This is a three-game win streak that no one's talking about. This is it. Maybe it could snowball into the winning streak that they had two years ago when Brian Flores' rookie year. Maybe. Maybe they can make a late-season push for the wild card or be in the conversation. Tua is clearly their best option at quarterback, and they, as long as they can keep him help, healthy, yes, I think that they peaked last year at a 10-6 and six team, and maybe they could do another 10-7, and 9-8 and eight type deal again. But that defense is the reason that they really aren't holding it together here this year and been more consistent. Now with Tua being healthy back in that lineup, I like how this Dolphins team is forming in the back half of the season. The Jets are the Jets. Like I said, they've had a carousel of quarterbacks between three starters in the four weeks that Zach Wilson's been gone with their bye week sprinkled in there. They're excited to get their starter back in here, their number one pick, start molding that offense, and hopefully Elijah Moore can continue that moving forward. The Washington football team win in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Cam's return to the home stadium, and Ron Rivera's return to where he got his head coaching start. They win 27-21. to Taylor Heineke with another great game in his standard, 16-22 with 206 and three touchdowns. That's 742 yards, five touchdowns, and two picks over his last three games. Cam looking decent, 21-27, 189, two touchdowns, adding 46 rushing yards with another touchdown in there. He's obviously their best piece at quarterback for the team that they have now. Still really young. J.C. Horn, you're expected to get back here from that broken foot and the surgery that he had earlier in the year. Pair him back up with Stephon Gilmore, and this defense is actually playing pretty decent, and I like and I like their overall look. Washington football team is looking pretty good right now when Heineke does not turn the ball over. Don't know how, how much we can rely on that not happening. This is a good streak on his part. I will give him that. That defense is not, not, is not going to get better. Can't get worse. It's not possible. Will not get better without Chase Young present on that offensive line or on that defensive side of the ball. This is just Ron Rivera getting the best of his ex quarterback and two teams I don't think will be serious playoff wildcard contenders in the NFC. No, I don't think that you're probably going to see either of these teams be a threat to make a wild card at this point. But I will say that if we are looking at this from a Washington perspective, Taylor Heineke is effectively a rookie when you consider how little playing experience he has. I don't care how old he is. It takes a lot of time. It takes reps to get used to that NFL speed, not in practice. And it's been, what, for him, about a season now that he's finally got about a a year under his belt. We're starting to see a little bit of growth from him. So if I'm trying to talk myself into good things for Washington— at least you have a pretty cheap option as a quarterback right now. And if you get a guy you like more in the draft, so be it. You're not handcuffed to him. But at least you see these signs. 
And then on the flip, let's just say here for Carolina, I actually was a little encouraged here in this game. I know that he didn't throw the ball or stretch it very much downfield, but Cam at least is accurate with the ball in these short passes that we didn't see him in his last year in Carolina or in his only year in New England. I think it's at least an encouraging sign, especially that he's willing to run the ball like he has again too, like he was doing in New England. You pair that with at least a healthy arm, Carolina can be a mediocre team. That's not the highest praise in the world, but I think that's right around where they end up. Our next game here, the San Francisco 49ers blow out the Jacksonville Jaguars 30-10. to Not really anything too crazy here. I did want to pose a question to you on this game. Is there a team that the first few drives, both sides, offense and defense, means more to than perhaps maybe New England? Then San Francisco, because of their offense and their inability to really throw the ball, and I feel like they're a really suffocating team. Once they get a lead, it's really hard to beat them, but if you get up on them early, you're going to have a hard time letting that lead slip away. Yeah, and San Francisco proved that in their quick start against the Rams here a couple weeks ago, and that's really the only way you see them winning games is when they have control. They don't like to get hit in the mouth and try to gain the control back. A couple years ago, I would say that's different. That is just not the identity of this team right now. They're kind of, the fires has kind of pampered down a little bit about the whole Trey Lance getting in for Jimmy G. This is just a methodical, boring San Francisco team that we're not accustomed to seeing, but it's their way to win games. No, I agree with you. Those first few drives, that is what's going to set the tone for what this game is going to look like. And against the Jacksonville Jaguars, a lesser opponent, you're expecting them to take advantage of this and a rookie quarterback paired with a rookie head coach that has no idea what the fuck he's doing outside of putting his finger in in chicks' buttholes, right? This 49ers team, I don't know how much I want to look into them. They're hot here. They're getting back to 500, and they have a really fun matchup here this week. Again, we'll get to that in the gambling portion. I don't want to look too much into it. The The only takeaway I have, George Kittle is still a dog, and Debo Samuel is something else for that squad. The next game within the division and the last of Hair of the Dog, the Arizona Cardinals improved to 2-1 and one without Kyler and D-Hop in the lineup by beating the Seattle Seahawks this past week. The Seahawks scoring 16 points our last two games with Russ back. This team, is, this team is just bad. Want to give the kudos to Wally, who called this in the beginning of the year that they were going to be the worst team in the NFC West. Good call on that, Wally. But Russ, 14 of 26 with 207. Yet another game without a passing touchdown for the guy. And DJ Dallas scoring the lone touchdown for the Seahawks. And a game that didn't matter because it was it was all Colt McCoy, baby. 35 of 44 with two touchdowns, both to Zach Ertz. And Arizona's defense is holding Seattle to 266 total yards. Clearly, Russ looks like he was rushed back. We know that he is the heartbeat of that offense, let alone that whole team organization from top to bottom but man after last year i know we talked about it last week for another week closer to the offseason russ is gone this team is done just shut russ down for the year i i think you're completely right that they should shut him down for the year it's it's getting unlikely that first of all he comes back But at the same point, I also want to ask the question that I don't know why everybody is afraid to ask. Why are we just assuming that Russell Wilson hasn't regressed and regressed quite a bit? I know that their 
offensive line hasn't been great, but their offensive line hasn't been great for most of his career, and he still was able to produce. And now he has two outstanding wide receivers, too, at the same point. It doesn't make sense. I, I just think that if you're Seattle, this was a really awesome era of Russell Wilson football, and it's unfortunately over, and they have to get that through their minds. It's time to really start looking to the future, looking for a rebuild, especially with how deep the NFC West is right now. Are you saying Russell Wilson's done? He's peaked? He's over? Oh, yeah. I think he's completely peaked. I I don't think that we will see that top-level Russell Wilson ever again. I think that he still has the capability of being a good quarterback. He's just not elite anymore, and we need to stop talking as if he is. How dare you? How dare you? Russ still got it. He's coming off a finger injury. But like you said, he he's had he had horrible offensive line play. He's I will say he's getting to that age where maybe he cannot have that di- that as dynamic part to his offense where he's able to roll out and just float it into people. He needs to be a little bit more of a pocket passer. But he's not peaked. He is still elite, just having an off year. And you're crazy for thinking that. It's just amazing to me that you have guys like Russell Wilson that we go out of our way, bend over backwards to make excuses for, but then once we have a public idea or an opinion about a quarterback, we search for reasons to tear them down. Like, look at the Derek Hars, the Kirk Cousins, the Brake Mayfields, all these kind of quarterbacks of the world. We have a bad game. We're really quick to throw them under the bus, and we don't do that for guys like Russell Wilson, and I don't know why. Because we have a larger track record of their success. So we have a little bit longer of a leash with them. You know, Super Bowl winning quarterback, all the records that he had, most winningest quarterback in the first nine years. There's The records speak for themselves, Walter. And th- you're, you're making me fucking sick right now, kid. How dare you talk about you, NC State greatness, <laughs> Russell Wilson. NC State greatness, whatever have you. He did transfer out of there, by the way, so whatever. But I will say for Russell Wilson... Last year, you want to talk about an extended track record of knowing what a guy's done. This is the second year in a row now that we've seen this kind of fall off in play. The let Russ Cook movement was awesome at the start of last season for about eight, nine weeks. What happened once teams started adjusting to it, he's not been back at that elite level since. I'd argue since about week nine, week 10 last year, he's probably been an average quarterback in the NFL. You're making me sick. I'm not going to sit here and continue you just throwing slander at Russell Wilson. Go on with your live read, Wally. We want to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by TabEase.com, the world's best Delta-8 THC edible. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, and made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But if you're not into Delta-8 THC, that's not a problem. Tab Ease offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure it that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, TabEase.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling with depression and anxiety for a long time, as you guys know by now. And don't get me wrong, this isn't like a fix, but it does make me feel much more at ease, hence the name. Whenever I am feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this, even if they were not a sponsor of ours. So please make sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That's Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S 
ECO to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabbies.com and with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Now let's get into some game previews. The Philadelphia Eagles win their third game in a row, beating New Orleans at home 40-29. to And this was one of those games that I believe it was at 2 when we made our picks last week, the spread. And Philadelphia was up early in this game, I want to say it was like by 20 points or so. It was something like 27-11. And they had seemed, I was at this point watching my buddy Zach Youssef's reaction the entire time instead of actually getting to watch it. I came home and got to watch Red Zone. I'll tell you a little bit about that story here in a little bit. But dude, this Eagles offense, you took a lot of these stats down, so I'm going to let you get into it. But these rushing, this rushing attack has been unbelievable since they decided to run the ball. And I got lucky at the time because the Raiders in that opening drive against them, that was the game that Miles Sanders got hurt. That was seemingly when the Eagles decided and figured out that if they run the ball, they're a better team. But I didn't think they were this much better of a team. They are all of a sudden two games out of that NFC East lead. And they haven't even played the Dallas Cowboys yet in this season. Do you think that they might sneak their way into this NFC East race or at the very least secure themselves an NFC wildcard spot? Based on their trajectory right now, absolutely. Like you said, they have found their identity. They are a rushing team, and that is including their quarterback, Jalen Hurts. The Eagles just this past game combined for their rushing attack combined for 50 carries of 242 yards and three touchdowns. Now, Phillies won three of their last four, and that one loss came to the Chargers on the last second field goal. That They played them pretty damn close here was about two weeks ago. But during that four-game stretch, they have 870 rush yards for an average of 217.5 yards per game. All of a sudden, they're the second-best rushing team in the NFL. Let's put that in perspective. Their first six games, they had 817 yards with 136 yards per game average. I think you found your identity. And you could run yourself right into this wild into this wild card picture. Let's say Green Bay, Tampa, Arizona, Dallas all win those divisions. Now you have you got San Fran that's sitting there at 500. You have Minnesota that's sitting there at 500. You got Philadelphia just sitting one game back. We'll see what Carolina wants to do and if Washington can can continue to have good offensive play from Taylor Heineke. I think that this Philadelphia Eagles team could slide in in that seventh spot right there if they can continue this with a lot of divisional games to still be had between the two with the Cowboys. Once they have at least another one with Washington, they have at least another one with the Giants as well. Ball is in their court, and if Dallas continues to be kind of have this injury or have these injuries plague their wide receiving core, Tyron Smith as well as their offensive line, he's expected to be back here this Thursday, hopefully. And the two pass rushes that they have out on the defensive side, Dallas better start watching out now. Maybe this division is not a cakewalk like you thought in the beginning of the year. What about your thoughts, Wally? Do you see them being able to sneak into the wild card, or are you holding that hatred towards them and just completely shutting them off? You know, it's funny. You've heard me say this before, and I genuinely mean it. If they were from any other city outside of Philadelphia, I think I would love this team. They are built like the exact kind of way I love football teams, and I love that offensive line. And another thing that's crazy is that this Eagles team now has the easiest remaining schedule the rest of the year. And if, I mean, that's 
massive when you're talking about how close this wild card race is and how close potentially the NFC East race could be as well. Yeah, I think that the Eagles do make the wild card at this point. I think that the Rams and the Vikings also do. I, I don't think... I think that those three teams have separated themselves and they're just significantly better than the other teams there at the end of that wild card race. Our next game here, your Green Bay Packers traveled to Minneapolis and lose a tight one. We knew it was going to be tight, 34-31. The fourth quarter was crazy watching the two teams just trade leads, trade scores. I'm going to let you just say whatever you want to say about this game. As much as it hurts at the moment, I have to imagine that you can just kind of Flush this away. It's one game. Nothing changes outside of the frustration. Well, it's a divisional matchup. You know, I was ex- even though I picked my Packers in the betting last week, I'm expected Minnesota to be playing as close. Kirk Cousins now moves to four, three, and one since moving in, into the division against Aaron Rodgers straight up or against the Packers straight up. Justin Jefferson's a problem. Eight receptions, 169 yards, two touchdowns. I will say that definitely looked like a push off. There for a second touchdown, but I guess that's for you guys to decide. Dalvin Cook with 22 touches and 86 yards and a touchdown to, to kind of add to that. Dalvin Cook has been roasting us ever since he came in the league. And with how great the Green Bay defense has been playing, this is a matchup nightmare for Green Bay. Green Bay's down Jari Alexander, their best corner, their best pass rusher, and linebacker to Darius Smith. That's a mismatch right there without having Jari in there. You got Justin Jefferson and... I end up feeling running free. It's Kevin King and, and Razul Douglas as your one and two cornerbacks. You can't have that. I'm not surprised Kirk Cousins cut us up the way that he did. And it clearly looked like a wake-up call for that Green Bay defense. Now, Aaron Rodgers, four touchdowns, 385 yards. It just was not enough because that defense could not stop a nosebleed. That offense was looking fine, but I think the injuries have finally showed that they're a glaring problem. Elton Jenkins, the best... O-lineman on the Packers roster and line this year goes down towards ACL out for the year. He's the person that's been filling in that left tackle position for David Bakhtiari. Now Green Bay is down both their best linemen, their, their top running back, their best cornerback, their best linebacker, Rashawn Gary not playing in there, which that would have helped with the run game a little bit. Dalvin Cook, I still think, would have went off. But with Rashawn Gary in there, one of the best interior linemen in the league, or at least proving himself this year with a larger role. He was clearly missed. This was just a defensive matchup that Minnesota clearly won. Excited for them to come back to Green Bay in that second matchup, and I think Green Bay comes out victorious. But we will see how that looks. From the outside looking in, do you think that Green Bay has should be hitting the panic button? And me personally, I think this Minnesota team is a playoff team. They're always late bloomers under Mike Zimmer. If they don't start off hot, they typically get hot midseason like they are right now. They're stringing a couple wins together. Do you think that they can continue this? And again, do you think that there should be too much panic in the Green Bay and the Green Bay Packer fandom world, Walter? I'd be frustrated with the injuries, but beyond that, no, I don't think there's panic. And even if by some miracle the Vikings do win that second matchup and find a way to even win this NFC North. The Packers are going to be fine. They're going to be in the playoffs. And even if they have to not host games at Lambeau because they don't win the NFC, that's not necessarily the end of the world, the way this team is built and set up. I think they can go somewhere warm and play just as well. It might, in fact, actually be a better thing for them. But I I think that this Packers team is fine. I I wouldn't worry whatsoever if I'm you. 
you said it, this Vikings team is a playoff team. And shit, I mean, I've been saying it for weeks now that they haven't lost a game, I want to say, by two possessions or more than two possessions all year. They've been in every single one. They look good even in their losses. It just took time for them to actually learn how to win these games this year instead of losing one possession once. And you said it best. Minnesota, I was going to cover this in the gambling in the gambling part for our picks. Nine of their ten games this year have gone on the one possession. They lead a lot of these games, and they end up blowing the lead. To your point, they closed this game out. You know what they did? The smartest thing that they did that people typically have not picked up on yet, they held on to the ball, and they made sure that they had the last say. And if this, was, if this game was going to get won or for going to overtime, not even giving Aaron that opportunity, you got to give the kudos when kudos is due. Minnesota, we'll see you soon here. Now they're on my shit list. The Cincinnati Bengals spank your Vegas Raiders, where this game was actually pretty close for the most part. A couple couple turnovers late in this game kind of blew the door off the hinges here. Mixon having a day with 30 touches and 123 yards and two touchdowns. Joe Burrow having a rough one, 20-29 with a buck 48 and only one touchdown. But felt like your boy Derek Carr had a little bit rougher of a day. Through this three-game win streak, he came out to his press conference and said, it's all on me. You love that. You got to love seeing that from your quarterback taking a lot of the blame. But it's normal. It's that time of the year, and the Raiders are falling apart. During what's supposed to be a very happy, family-filled time of the year is Wally's worst time of the year. I'll let you sound off, bud. Yeah, I am so frustrated because... It doesn't matter now. We've gotten to a day and age where there's so many box score warriors out there that don't see or watch any of these games and just decide an opinion is not valid because the numbers in front of them say they aren't. Anybody that watches the last few weeks of the Raiders, especially a game like this, you have to understand that, I mean, there's just no one getting open. It's taking... I mean, the only time you can get anybody is when Darren Waller actually just burns somebody. He has a really well-run route. He finds the perfect hole in, in a zone because there is no wide receivers to get any separation. You're throwing to Zay Jones as one of your number one guys, Brian Edwards. It's not going to work. And, and I understand Deshaun Jackson, even at this old age, is fast. But when you have no expectation of him getting the ball because he doesn't know the offense yet... This offense is dead to water. They're not going to get points. And I love that Derek Carr is the type of person that wants to take the blame for this. You do want that in your leader of your franchise. But that's great if he can run routes. But he can't. So it's not all on him. No one's getting open. And it's just infuriating. Especially, too, when everybody looks back and they're like, Oh, look, Derek Carr's had, what, I think it's like seven, eight turnovers in the last three or four weeks. You're right, and that is a high number. It shouldn't happen. But when you also consider the fact, like you mentioned, games like this, the two turnovers came at the last few moments of the game where the Raiders are doing anything they can to get back in it. They've made this really tight going into the fourth quarter with a really efficient, it was like a four-play, 80-yard touchdown drive, all completions, and then right after, the Bengals walk down the field and score. I, I don't know, man. It, it's I'm just so exhausted. I can't wait for... like This has gotten to the point where I hate talking about the Raiders. I don't want to talk about them. I hope people don't know I'm a Raiders fan because I'm just exhausted. It's one thing after another this year. 
And having the hardest schedule in the second half of the year, now without a deep threat, it's just setting up for another one of those collapses. And I don't know. I, I, I really don't know where you even go anymore. I, I'm at a loss for words. I guess if you want to flip it real quick to the Bengals and I'll let you sound off on whatever you want to say here. Joe Burrow was kind of shut down in this game. And a large part of that is because, and this is another reason I'm pissed, the Raiders' defense looked good. They had a great pass rush and the corners played well. A few very questionable penalties in this game made this look a little not as close as it should have been. But the Bengals, are, they've got themselves back into it. I, I want to give you better thoughts here, but I'm just rattled. And I, I don't have them. I am a frustrated, Stephen. So if you have anything really of value here, it probably would be helpful since I'm worthless. Negative value, yes. Positive value, no. I mean, it's something that was a huge question mark with all the the offseason that you had surrounding your offensive line. You got to be able to protect Derek Carr. Like you said, he's, he's throwing the ball. He can't run the routes. He can't block for you, etc. One One of seven on third down. Seven third downs is what you had in this game, right? And to your point, Cincinnati's defense, which is not really that good, they had a great game because they're able to get after Derek Carr, disrupt that, and obviously disrupt the rhythm of the whole offense, Only not only having seven third downs, but only converting one of them. That's going to equate to only having 47 offensive plays ran to Cincinnati 70. With the turnover differential mixed with that, it, it's just not – it's not a formula for success here. And and it was proven they take Derek Carr off the field. That's one way to be successful. And that's what Cincinnati did. Beat me without Derek Carr. And unfortunately, they came out with a large 32 to 13 victory out, out of here. We'll we'll wrap you up. Coffin, bye-bye, six feet under. Love you, Wally. Keep it in the division, though. The Kansas City Chiefs win their fourth in a row, beating Dallas 19-9. Now Dallas was without Amari Cooper. It was a late scratch because of COVID and then lose CD lamb here, right before halftime due to a concussion. So all Dak and Zeke, Zeke actually ends up leaving a little bit later in that second half because of an ankle injury, but Dak 28 of 43, 216, two interceptions and Zeke and Tony Pollard only combined for 82 yards on the ground. The main discussion here is not Pat Mahomes, not offense. They didn't do anything. Yes. 19 points. Kudos. You scored three in the second half, you let Dallas hang around there a little bit. Dallas just was not able to pick up anything on third down or do anything offensively, especially once C.D. Lamb got out of there. Because once Amari wasn't playing cool, all you did was double C.D., make Michael Gallup your best receiver, or at least go to look at Dalton Schultz a little bit. They could not get anything going. But I am still not on the train that Kansas City is back and they're dangerous because this offense still does not scare me. Their defense still has not done enough for me to believe that they're mediocre or a more improved. Yes, you got Chris Jones back with three and a half of the five sacks that they had on Dak. Other than that, Dallas with another down game. They seem to be hitting a midseason slump or plateauing going going 500 over the last four games. And we say this again, it feels like every week. Is this game convincing enough to you to say Kansas City is back? And is there any worry of Dallas after this game losing an arrowhead? I'm not really sure what to really make of Dallas anymore because they've just been the most extreme team 
in the last month of the year. It's either they look like world beaters, no one will ever even come close to them again, or they kind of look like they did on Sunday. And I understand with your two wide receiver studs out of that game, it makes the guy's job a lot harder in Dak Prescott. But you still have to put up some points. But this Kansas City Chief defense has certainly answered the bell. When Tyron Matthew came out and got openly upset about a month ago, what's the defense done? What's this team done since then? Even if it hasn't been as flashy, even if it hasn't been as efficient, they're getting wins, and that makes me nervous. I do think that this team maybe not be back at this point, but they're well on their way, and I do think they'll get there. And this is just making for another one of those years. Like, they won the Super Bowl a few years ago. That was the year everybody wrote them off when Patrick Mahomes' knee got dislocated on the quarterback sneak. Everybody wrote the Chiefs off this year. I think it's when they play their best football. And boy, I, I, don't, I don't feel very good about it whatsoever. And then we'll wrap up this last week of action here with the Chargers win in a just the craziest Monday night game. Or Sunday night game. Oh, shoot. Yeah, damn it. There's, there's two more games. Sorry. We'll wrap up the Sunday slate here with the Chargers and Steelers game, which was one of the crazier Sunday night football games you'll see. Many people, I'm sure, especially East Coast fans, probably missed the craziness at the end, going to sleep when they thought this game was over. The Chargers went into the fourth quarter with a 27-10 lead, and they scored 27 points, five different drives ending in points, to not only at some point tie the game, they took the lead after the Chargers went for it on fourth and one with about three and a half left on their own 35. It felt like the Steelers were going to do the improbable, and a win in a game like that could have really set them up for a playoff run. Now it's going to be a little difficult. The Chargers score a late touchdown, and the Steelers kind of implode on their last offensive drive. This is a weird game to look at because the Chargers typically find ways to lose games like this. They did manage to actually get the job done after a choke, but they did choke. And it makes you wonder about where this team is at mentally right now. The Steelers, I don't want to be the guy because I feel like I'm coming off as a hater this year because I've just said only negative things about that team and I'm not really even trying to do that. I just don't think there are a lot of positives. Devin Bush looks like shit. That defense without TJ Watt looks very average. We're getting run over right now. The linebackers not getting off blocks. They're not stepping up and filling holes. It's just, I don't see any possible way that the Steelers make the playoffs. This is, I think, two teams that met in in the middle, and they're going to go in two very different directions down the stretch here. What did you make of this game here, Steven? This game was insanity. Like you said, they had this large lead. Pittsburgh gets a blocked punt. Score a touchdown. Take, take advantage of that opportunity, as well as a Justin Herbert turnover. Game-winning drive set up. First play. Sacked. Okay, cool. Second play. Sacked. Fuck. Third play, incompletion. Fourth play, yeah, right, guy. It was a qu- it was a rip of the bandaid off for you. Oh, you want to see if we're gonna if we're gonna come back and win? Let me. We'll just get rid of this real quick for you. Austin Eckler four total touchdowns. Kid is an animal. But man, the Chargers needed a win like this in this fashion with how up and down their season has been the midseason. And the Steelers are just are doing the Steelers things. They've just been what seems to be like a five hundred team since starting eleven and zero last year. I'm not scared of that defense, really. You can't keep T.J. Watt on the field consistently this year. 
Big Ben is just simply not a threat. You know, yes, he's just a seasoned vet who knows how to get his team ready to take advantage of these opportunities that, you know, seize the opportunities that are given to him by the opponent. I don't really see them scoring this many points strictly off offense again this year. The Chargers, I think that's a good win. Keeps them in in that division where the Chiefs are leading all of a sudden. But I'm not really looking too much into this game. The Monday night game, which I'm sure every single one of us were up watching. Tampa Bay gets back on track with a 30-10 victory over the New York Giants. TB12 going 30-46 of with 307 yards. Two touchdowns. He did have one interception, but Saquon with only six carries and 25 yards in his comeback game. That's bad. The Giants lose a turnover battle, 3-1. to one. There's nothing new. But is this a convincing enough game to say, hey, Tampa Bay's back? They're expected to have some players return from injury that they have been missing this year. But do you think that Tampa Bay is back after this game that last year they were struggling with a little bit? I don't even necessarily want to go as far to say that they went away. They, we've, You and I have both been very similar on the front of thinking that this Tampa Bay team knows that they probably already have the Division One, And this is a team that's really fighting to stay motivated in regular season. And I get it. I mean, it's really hard to really tell a team, hey, you're just going to get beat up for the next 15, 16 weeks for no goal other than to just get where you thought you were already going. So I know that's a little difficult. But as for, I guess, the Giants, I mean, only getting Saquon on the ball six times. What a disaster. Jason Garrett fired. Giants are a very, very dysfunctional mess right now, and it's awesome to see. But the Bucs, though, yeah, I, I'm. they're still a Super Bowl threat. I just think that their challenge the rest of the year is staying motivated in games. But I do want to ask you, you did ask earlier about the NFC wildcard race and the look outlook there, but the AFC, there are 12 teams. It's kind of been the big stat everybody wants to say this last week on all these networks, but there are 12 teams at or above 500 in the AFC. That means there are eight teams at or above 500 right now that are fighting for a wildcard spot. If we assume the four AFC division leaders hold on the rest of the year, who makes the wild card? I'm sure a few of you are probably in your car, so I'm just going to tell you this real quick to help you out. The Bengals, Chargers, and Buffalo Bills are the three wild card teams right now as it sits. They're six and four. Pittsburgh is five, four, and one. What, half a game out? Then you have the Colts and Browns at six and five, and the Raiders and Broncos at five and five. If you have to pick three teams here, who is playing January football? I like the first three that you listed there. You got the Cincinnati Bengals at six and four right now. The Chargers six and four. Buffalo six and four. I think New England's going to make a late surge here. Buffalo and New England still have not played each other. They have Week thirteen, Week fifteen matchup here, so that's obviously going to be a huge deciding factor on this. I think Buffalo is going to continue to kind of be mediocre and plateau. It seems to be the word of the of the podcast here. Buffalo having that third spot. The Chargers, yes. Now, they still have the tiebreaker with the Kansas City Chiefs, depending on how that's going to go, and they also still have one matchup that is going to be played in SoFi. So the home field advantage, quote-unquote, use that word word loosely, take it with a grain of salt. I like the Bengals, Chargers, and Buffalo. I feel like those are the clear, those are the three clear favorites that have not separated themselves from the top four, but have definitely separated themselves from the bottom eight that we have here. So I'm going to go... Bengals, Chargers, Buffalo, maybe not in that order. Maybe I would throw 
maybe I'll do Chargers, Buffalo, Bengals, and that's a, and in that order is my three that I have going in. I have two of your three. I, I didn't do an order, so ignore me for that. But I agree that I think the Bengals and Chargers get in. But if our podcast ever gets big, I'm never going to be allowed to step in the foot of Buffalo, New York, because I feel like every time we have a question like this, I'm the one guy that's like, no, Buffalo is not doing it. I think Buffalo is going to miss the playoffs right now. I think that loss on Sunday was massive from obviously a tie-breaking perspective with, with the Indianapolis Colts. But I think the Colts, having hit their stride now and having a pretty easy schedule down the stretch, I think that the Bills have putzed around a little too much this year, have to beat the teams like the Steelers at home, have to beat the teams like the Jaguars, have to beat the teams like the Colts at home when you know that that might have wildcard implications. They didn't do it. And I think they're going to have only themselves to blame at the end of the year when they're missing, what, sitting at home as the eight seed. And that's enough of your impromptu wild card picks here. We still have the whole back third of the season with a little bit extra on there. Well, that'll bring us to the end of the week 11 recap. Let's get into the NFL week 12 bets. What the hell's going on out here? Where the Kansas City Chiefs and the Arizona Cardinals are on a bye. And man, we got three matchups on Turkey Day here, just two days away from this moment when we are recording. While you kind of run us through our records last week and foreshadow, pump your tires up a little bit, bud. I appreciate you letting me have that opportunity to pump my tires a little bit because it was a really good week for me. Steven, you know how you bet. You went 14 and 15, but the style of betting you do, that's not really a terrible day. You probably lost a couple units in there. But if you followed me this last week, I was hot. I went 20 and 10, and that was before the prop lock and drop it segment that all three of the picks that I had in there as well also hit, including the New England defense getting a score, which was at plus 410. So I had a day, Steven, and I really appreciate you letting me get the pump the tires because we had, what, about a month there where we were, have not done exactly as well as we would have liked. I've I've had a rough month, three weeks ever since I went on that heater. I went like seventeen and three, kind of just been teetering on that five hundred, one unit up, two units down, two units up, two units down type deal. So I'm happy for you, and I'm happy for us. I am too, and there's no better way to even get us going here because naturally, what happens on Thanksgiving? But your division rival, the Detroit Lions, always play their game at one, and for the longest time. I, I think we did this even last year because we talked about how the Lions never win on Thanksgiving. And then we started looking it up and we got surprised they won a few more games than we thought in the last 15, 20 years. I think we can start saying that the trend is going back the way that you and I have thought it would be. They've lost four straight games last year. They lost by 16 against the Texans. So be it the Texans were a little bit... <laughs> it was a different situation last year. But they bring in the Andy Dalton-led Chicago Bears. A Bears team that it seems like they're a little bit of turmoil right now. Not sure what's going to happen there with the regime that they have. But the Bears are three and a half point favorites. And the over-under is set at 41 and a half. I'll give you my pick real quick and I'll throw it over to you. I have the Chicago Bears minus three and a half in money line. I just think that the Chicago Bears defense is going to have their way. I mean, everybody's going to have their way right now with the Detroit Lions. They don't, I mean, their offense has really been, let's hand the ball off 40 times and just hope that we break one or two touchdowns. And I guess lucky for them, 
They've broke three long touchdowns in the last two weeks, but it's not going to be enough. Once again, we're talking about a sad Lions crowd on Thanksgiving. Yeah, Detroit's been pretty bad on Thanksgiving over the past two decades. They're like 4-17. and 17. Something like that. Something very, very horrible. Now, Jared Goff did throw on Monday morning. Dan Campbell's saying he's looking good. He's leaning towards him playing. So that gives him at least a little bit of a better advantage of, you know, having Tim Boyle suit up again for the second time in 10 days. I just feel a Thanksgiving miracle happen. This is Detroit's best opportunity to get a win this year. Playing the Chicago Bears at home Thanksgiving Day on a short week. And you, again, you are the home team. For some reason, I just feel a Thanksgiving miracle. But most importantly, this is the best chance for Detroit to win. And the money line has to hit at one point this season. You would think. So I'm going to go with this one. I'm going Detroit plus three and a half. And the money line. I'm, they're, I'm picking them every single game the rest of the year. I don't care if I go over on this. It's the NFC North Brotherhood that I'm keeping them on. The next game we have in the slate on Thanksgiving, the Las Vegas Raiders are traveling to Jerry World where they're seven and a half point underdogs. We will see what the what that wide receiver room is going to look like. Is CeeDee Lamb going to be able to play with that concussion? Is Amari, I'm assuming, is going to be out because of the COVID? We'll see. And is Tyron Smith going to be playing? Their all-pro left tackle who's been out here with an ankle injury over the last three games. The Cowboys seem very hopeful that he's going to play. And you need him in there ASAP. After giving up five sacks to Kansas City, three and a half to Chris Jones, the Raiders only have the best pass rushing duo in pressures in the NFL, led by your boy Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe. So you know they're licking their chops. Regardless of Tyron Smith is in here or not, I like the Raiders to cover the seven and a half points, but I do like the Cowboys to ultimately win this game on Thanksgiving in Jerry World. I would love for you to be right, but I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell. I think this is going to go a lot like that 2013 matchup when the Raiders traveled to Dallas, where I went in thinking, you know what, anything can happen on Thanksgiving. This is going to be a lot of fun. And instead, the Raiders kind of got curb stomped. And you're going to see, unfortunately, the same thing happen. We can't score. We cannot score. I think that you take Dallas minus 7.5 money line and the under because of that. 50.5 is a lot of points for a team that doesn't know how to complete a pass. And if, like you said, Dallas's wide receiver room is also depleted, I don't know how the 50 and a half hits here. I also want to throw in a little bonus thing because I know a couple of my friends like the anytime touchdown scorer props. Dalton Schultz in this game, he's going to get a touchdown. The Raiders do not defend tight ends very well. I have this game being like 31 to 14. So... A lot of bets I just threw out there, but it's Thanksgiving. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to feel full, get drunk, and bet and lose money. I like the Dalton Schultz pick. I like that one a lot. I had him in a like a parlay of them. They did, he didn't hit this week, but he's having his best years at tight end. That's a great pick with all those wide receivers potentially out. I like that Wally. A little bonus prop. Gotta love it. We're just trying to look out for the people here, and I appreciate you giving me a little credit. Someone's in a giving mood. I love it. For someone who said he doesn't like the traditional Thanksgiving, you seem to be very giving. Oh, absolutely. I'm giving away losses. I'm giving away money. It's going to be a miserable thing. This is going to be the day that if you could just, everybody out there listening, imagine my fat ass with my shirt off, with my yingling sad, looking at the TV, just moping 
And I'm texting everybody all happy, like, ha yeah, happy Thanksgiving. It's, it's going to be miserable. I'm prepared for a lot of sadness come Thursday. And the last game that will be giving me that sadness on Thursday is the Buffalo Bills traveling to New Orleans. The Bills are four and a half point road favorites with the over-under set at 46. I'm taking the Saints plus four and a half, but I'm taking the Buffalo Bills money line. As for the Bills, who the fuck have they really beaten, Steven? Kansas City was a good win. We got to give them credit for that, even if Kansas City was looking terrible at the time. But that was when they were literally falling apart. Beyond that, they beat Houston, Miami twice, and the Jets. They've lost to Pittsburgh, they've lost to the Jaguars, and they've lost to the Washington football team. I just don't know why we're just assuming that this is a good football team still. I don't think they are. I totally agree with you. I think that there's glaring offensive line problems. They have no running game, and Josh Allen is a talented quarterback. I think you're asking him to do too much in this offense. Now, this defense is playing solid, but to your point, what offenses have they played against? A lackluster Kansas City offense who still really hasn't found their stride here this year and the rest of the teams that you just listed off. I'm sure Jacoby Brissett in both those matchups. You know, the New York Jets. You know, you lost to Taylor Heineke in the Washington football team. You lost to Trevor Lawrence, the rookie quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, where you'd even put up a touchdown. The Bills are fraudulent, which sucks because they actually have a lot of talent on that team. I think that they can do some damage. They don't have that They don't have that aura of the team that they did last year. And I'd argue that this is a better roster than what they did have last year. But I agree with you. Who have they beaten? No one really. They're frauds. Now they're going to play the comeback kids in the New Orleans Saints. Who I think that they should keep it in a close game here. With New England breathing down their back, even though they're ahead... The Bills have to start fueling this fire, and this is a good. This would be a good quality win against a good, well-coached organization in in New Orleans. And I see that I see the Saints covering the four and a half, and I'm on the Buffalo Bills money line with you as well, Wally. We're on the same wavelength with this one. The next game here, we have an AFC North matchup where the Pittsburgh Steelers are traveling to Cincinnati, where the Bengals are four and a half point favorites as well. Cincinnati coming off a must-needed win against the your Vegas Raiders. And they've already beaten Pittsburgh 24-10 earlier this year. And honestly, I don't see why much would change. Um, we'll see what T.J. Watt is, if he's going to be available in this game. But neither team has really impressed me that much since the matchup that they had earlier in the year. I don't give the upper hand to either of them. It's who I trust more. Right now, I trust the Cincinnati Bengals more. They just seem a little bit more complete and not as lopsided to me on the offensive side of the ball as the Pittsburgh Steelers do. And I like the Cincinnati Bengals getting over the hump of facing Pittsburgh at home, covering the four-and-a-half-point spread, and maybe not being in the driver's seat, but being able to control their own destiny within that division after this. Yeah, I, this is an interesting game, and I'm so happy that you brought up T.J. Watt because I do think that that is going to be the catalyst on how this game is going to go. If I was going to guess that he was not playing, I feel like you honestly have that line down to like seven and a half. I feel like the Bengals are a better than a touchdown than the Steelers at this point. But this is a really weird rivalry. I don't think a lot of people outside of these two fan bases really understand the ineptitude that we've seen out of the Bengals playing the Steelers. Until last year's win, the Bengals 
had lost eight straight games at home against Pittsburgh, including that nasty playoff game. We all remember how that went. And then they're also 4-21 at home against Pittsburgh in the last 20-some-odd years. But the new era is here. And I really do believe that you saw that that record, a large part of that was inflated because of how well Big Ben played against the Bengals and teams from Ohio. I think you're going to see Joe Burrow and this Bengals team start slowly changing that little feeling about these division matchups. And I think that starts right here. The Bengals get another win against the Steelers, cover the spread, and all of a sudden, Steeler fans, that means you've lost three of four against the Bengals on top of what last year you lost two of three against the Browns. It's a new day and age in that division. Our next game here, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are two and a half point road favorites going to Indianapolis and the over-under is set at 51.5. This was one of the trickier games on the schedule for me. I do have the Colts plus 2.5 in the money line, but if I could have a second drop, I'm not going to hint which one is my first drop yet, but if I had a second one, I think this would be it. The Colts are playing really well this last month, and the Bucks are better when they're on form. It's just a question of will they be. I don't think they are in this game, and I think the Colts continue to look desperate and get another win here. Colts money line and cover the spread, Steven. I'm on the two and a half in the money line with you for the Colts as well. They're hot. Like I said, they're winning five of six behind Jonathan Taylor, who's having a monstrous eight-game stretch. He's looking to stretch into a ninth game. Now, this is what's fun. With how hot Jonathan Taylor is, they get to go against the best rushing defense in the league. Now, Vita Vea did not play against New York Giants here. Bruce Arians is very optimistic that he's expected back in the lineup, which is huge. But this Colts offensive line, they've been playing great during this stretch. So that is a matchup I'm looking most forward to to see if Jonathan Taylor can continue this. Or maybe it's a Naheem Hines in the receiving game type of play from the running back position here. The Colts are going to have their hands full. Maybe Carson Wentz will get that three touchdown game, eclipse 250 yards, and really show that they they can burn you in the passing and the rushing game. Don't tempt them. But with Tampa Bay's defense especially their secondary, getting healthier. Let's see how healthy that they can get in this matchup. But I really like the Colts' money line and then plus two and a half as well. The Carolina Panthers are one and a half point favorites going to Miami. Me personally, I have Miami at plus one and a half as well as as the Finns' money line. Now, Carolina is still riding their high on the return of Cam Newton to the team. But since two have returned to the lineup, the Finns have looked a little bit better. Now, they're winners of three straight. The only team we're not talking about that has a three-game winning streak. They've been averaging 375 yards per game during that streak. Now, honestly, right now, if you look at, if you look at that, that's, that's top 10 in offensive yards per game. Now, throughout the whole year, they're typically ranked bottom six at around 310. So they're playing better. Jalen Waddle's getting healthier. Hopefully, Will Fuller maybe can make that return back. Martin Gusecki got Miles Gaskins coming out of that backfield. Tua playing a little bit better with that banged-up hand. But since he came in, led him to a victory to the, against the Ravens, had a nice victory against the, a division foe in the Jets, which you would think is equal competition this past week. Dolphins are starting to string them together like they did a couple years ago, and i like to see him continue, continue against a Carolina team that's now searching for a new identity with Cam Newton back at the helm. You are right about Miami, and their offense has been a lot better than I think people like myself have really given them credit for. But this is my last, I guess, test. 
not I, I don't know what to call this. I need them to prove it to me almost one more time against a defense like Carolina because we have talked about Carolina's defense all year. Had they had a good offense, this team might even be a Super Bowl team. That's how much talent there is on that other side of the ball. Problem is, Sam Darnold's not very good. P.J. Walker, not very good. Cam Newton's a step up, but how much of a step are we talking about? I need to, again, see Miami. I need to see Tua doing this against a good defense. I'm not ready to say it yet. So for one more week, I have Carolina minus one and a half in money line. If they make me look bad, I might have to come around and say I was wrong on the Dolphins. Our next game, Tennessee is traveling to New England where the Patriots are a six-point home favorite and the over-under set at 44.5. Naturally, we understand why the line is like this. Tennessee's really banged up right now. And is there really a team that's playing better football right now than the Patriots? I'm not sure. What I am sure of, though, is that the Titans just simply don't have the skill players right now to win this game. So I think the Patriots are going to win this game comfortably, and that's why I have them minus six and the money line. Yet again, we are on the same page. I don't want to bet against the Pats right now. And this Titans team, they're they're not the same without Derrick Henry. Something that you were alluding to earlier when we were talking about the recap. This is an offense that is only averaging 290 yards since Derrick Henry's injury. This O-line is horrible. They're giving up the fourth, tied for the fourth most sacks in the league with 31. The Pats defense has the fourth most sacks in the league, led by Matt Judon, their free agent acquisition here from the Baltimore Ravens this past offseason. You don't have Julio Jones in there. A.J. Brown's x-ray did come back negative. He should be good, but we'll see if he's going to be able to play even with A.J. Brown in there. That pass defense is treacherous to go up against. J.C. Jackson leading that secondary in interceptions with the secondary that is leading the league in turnovers. Well, defense has leading the league in turnovers. They're hot right now. It's hard to bet against them. And they are death by a thousand cuts with this team. They're not going to blow you out of the water with their offensive prowess, but they will they will just suffocate you like they did to Atlanta and what they've been doing during this winning streak. I like the Patriots minus six and the money line with Wally. Next game here, another division matchup in the NFC East. The Philadelphia Eagles, three and a half point favorites, going up to MetLife facing the New York Giants. They're talking about the Philly... The Philly rushing attack over the last four games. The Giants are finally getting all their starters back, getting a game underneath them. You got Saquon back, Kadarius Tony back in the lineup, but we'll see. He has an injury, a quad contusion is what they think it is. We'll see if he's going to be able to play this week. And yes, the Giants looked bad against a very hungry Tampa Bay team this past year, this past week that was desperate for a win and, and was not going to lose their third straight under Tom Brady, who hasn't done that in almost 20 years. It is a divisional matchup, though, and with the departure of Jason Garrett, who just got fired as the offensive coordinator, maybe get a fresh signal caller in there, get some fun plays, rejuvenate this offense, who all of a sudden has all their stars back in here. I'm not going to say that I'm expecting the Giants to win. I do expect the Giants to cover the three and a half because I see Philadelphia winning this game by a one to three margin. Philadelphia money line paired with that. In our last game, I asked a question of, is there a team that's playing better than the Patriots right now? If there is, it might just be this Philadelphia Eagles team. And that's part of the reason I am going to disagree with you on this one. I actually think the Eagles are going to cover the three and a half in win outright. That's why I have the money line as well. 
The NFC playoff teams in the playoff picture right now better look out because this Eagles team is not going to change. They're going to keep getting better. And I tell you what, I mean, this Eagles team has the makeups to really scare somebody late. Or in the playoffs, it could scare one of those Super Bowl teams we talked about. They're not at that level, but at least they know that they've just dramatically improved. And a lot of people forget, I think, this is an Eagles team that I'm pretty sure has three first-round picks this upcoming draft. They're going to keep getting better. And I don't like that, but it's going to be true. They're going to do it. They're going to win. This Eagles team is here to stay. The rush attack is going to continue to impress. Take the Eagles minus three and a half in the money line. The next game, probably the grossest game on our whole schedule here. The Falcons are traveling to Jacksonville. And the Falcons are a one-point road favorite with the over-under set at 46 and a half. This is a weird game, and I think you'll kind of get an idea from me that I'll be talking about this later. I have the Jaguars plus one in the money line. And my, it, the reason is, my gut feeling is that Cordero Patterson is going to sit out until he's healthy again, even though Arthur Smith was talking about how he thought that there's a chance he could see him back. This is a contract year for him, and at his age, you can't afford to really gamble with your health when there's so much money on the line. He's not going to be there. And we just talked a little while ago in our recaps. They has, what, eight straight quarters, you said, without a, a point? I know it's six straight since Cordero Patterson they haven't scored anything. Even with the Jaguars not looking like a world beaters, they have improved this year. They have. They've looked a little bit better week to week. Think the defense does enough. They're going to get a win. It's not going to be a fun game to watch, but take them plus one in the money line. My pick is really all dependent on if Cordero Patterson is going to play in this game because he is the MVP of the Falcons. That is very clear this year. And Atlanta has been a rough sight to see over the past couple weeks with and without him. Because the most of it has been without him, putting three total points up during that time. Uh, like you said, Arthur Smith is hopeful that he is going to return. Now, if Cordero Patterson does return, I'm going to go with Atlanta minus one on the money line. I'm assuming with or without his return, this is a pick em. And with how, just how porous the Jacksonville defense and team overall has been, during the season, I feel like Matt Ryan sees an opportunity that he can get his young guys some experience, some good reps, and actually put some points on the board and look like a competent offense. I'm going to go with Atlanta minus one regardless of Cordero Patterson's in this game, even though I led with he's a big factor. I think Matt Ryan is not going to allow himself to lose to that rookie quarterback in, in Trevor Lawrence quite yet. The New York Jets are two and a half point favorites traveling to Houston Texans. The over-under is set at 44 and a half. Rumors of Vinny Testaverde actually starting this game, just continuing the quarterback carousel for the New York Jets. But actually, during the recording, there was an update that Zach Wilson is expected to start in this. So that's a little bit better. We'll see if that line's going to change that much or that drastically. But Houston with a nice win over Tennessee. They, that's a team that was just dying for a win. Getting their best quarterback on the roster that is willing to play for him back on the field. And I like the Jets to continue this. And, Welcome them back with a good offensive game here. I like the Jets minus two and a half. I'm going to take their money line as well. I have the Jets minus two and a half in the money line here. The Jets fucked me last week, and most men would hold a grudge here. I'm not most men. I'm going to take this Jets team. I've got the galaxy brain right now. The Texans just got their biggest win of all season, and you know what that typically means. People overreact on the lines, and they expect the same thing. Not going to happen. The Jets are going to win this game. 
Houston, you're going to get back to what they were doing before. It's going to be a really ugly game, but they're going to get it done. Jets cover and win outright. The Chargers are traveling to the Mile High City, and they're only two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road against the Broncos. That surprised me a little bit. think it's a rat line. I don't know why it's so close. I don't think you overthink this one. You trust that Chargers team to go into Denver, especially without Vaughn Miller now, get this job done. The only way that they get in trouble is if that Denver rush attack continues to make the Chargers' run defense look terrible. I think that they're going to be able to do enough to not let that happen and win this game. And if you're going to win, I'm typically going to bet you at minus 2.5. So I have minus 2.5 in the money line, Steven. The Chargers just got done lighting up a pretty decent defense here on Sunday night. So they they look to get back with an important division win. Emphasis on important, just not because of the opponent, just because of what they needed for seeding-wise, fighting for that wild card spot or potentially the number one seed. Denver just isn't it. That game in Dallas was a, was an anomaly here a couple weeks ago. And they, they are, they're mediocre at best and starting 3-0. And honestly, Teddy B is still a little bitch for not going after Darius Slay in that pick six. I don't know why you'd want to play for a guy like that. And I'm still going to go on that rant. So I anytime Denver's on here now, I'm picking against some Chargers to start streaking a couple wins here together. Maybe get hot towards the tail end of the season and make a nice push and a nice run in the playoffs. I like this to be their second win in a row to start something. Denver, minus two and a half in their money line. The Los Angeles Rams coming back to Lambeau for a wild card rematch from last year. Green Bay is one point favorites over under set at 47 and a half. Green Bay's just hitting a wall during their season. They lost their Swiss Army knife in the O-line and, and Alan Jenkins. David Bakhtari not expected to be back. And that's another week without Aaron Jones. Let's insert Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald. Going up against an O-line with their two best offensive linemen not playing. You mix that in with Aaron Rodgers with that toe injury. We'll see how much he can move. And I'm thinking that the the Rams have the upper hand here. Jalen Ramsey hungry to get that revenge matchup that he had last year where Devontae Adams won, in my opinion, and what a lot of people thought too. This bye week could not come soon enough for for the Packers. And my prediction is the Rams, if this, wherever this adjusts to, I like the Rams. Minus or plus one in the money line. Green Bay limping into their bye week. Losers of three of four. This is almost the exact reverse situation of last week where you picked the Raiders to win and I had to hope you were right and I was wrong. I'm the opposite way. I think that the Packers are going to win this game. I think they are going to cover. I know that they are pretty banged up right now. It's just a testament to how highly I think of this Packers team. And the Rams are also, we talked about, and everybody knows now, the Robert Woods injury. We don't really know what Odell is going to do in this offense quite yet. We don't know if he's fully got this under his belt. We'll probably see him get a little bit more introduced into the offense this week. But if he's not at that level yet, I don't know if we're really at a a stage where the Rams are going to be able to score enough, even with the injuries. I'm taking the Packers minus one. They win this game outright, but I also think the under of 47.5 hits for the reasons that I just talked about. The injuries paired up with the new Odell offense in LA, I think that you're just going to see a, a low-scoring game. This is the kind of game a Packers team might win 24-20, to 24-17. I think that's the kind of score you see. And then your division rival that unfortunately beat you this last week, the Minnesota Vikings have another little tricky game in their own right, traveling to San Francisco. 
And you can see that Vegas has immediately put the respect back on the 49ers. They're three-point favorites at home, which means that they would be perceived as a pick on a neutral site game against this team. With how well the Vikings are playing, I think that's a testament to how good they believe that San Francisco is. 48.5 is the over-under. I am taking Minnesota plus three in the money line. Less that I'm really confident in the Vikings, but I felt this should have been a pick to begin with, so I'm kind of going to take those extra few points. And we'll see. I don't know. I, either one of these teams could win. This is going to be a hell of a game and one of the games I'm most looking forward to on Sunday. Yeah, I'm with you on this. Minnesota plus three in their money line. If you can get on their money line right now, get them at plus money instead of a pick them when it's, you know, when it's a little bit maybe minus 107 versus minus 112. They're both set at minus 113. Get some plus money in here. I'm with you on this now. These are these two teams are fighting for one of those final wild card spots, right? Minnesota's the last one in. San Francisco's the last one out. But Minnesota's has been looking, they've been looking better recently. Like I said before, nine and ten. Nine of their 10 games this season have been one-possession games. Justin Jefferson's really taken off in his second year. Didn't think he's going to make a leap like this and keep it as consistent and have a better year than he did his rookie year. Always have Adam Thielen to fall back on. Jack Conklin's getting getting involved in the offense. And, of course, you can always rely on Dalvin Cook and, if not him, Alexander Matson as well. These teams are both hot, stringing in some wins, getting on the right side of the column here in the W. But the offense of Minnesota, I know you liked it, but the offense of Minnesota and just the Vikings in general, they just have better victories over that stretch. And I just trust them a little bit more here. I'm with you, Wally. Minnesota plus three and their money line as well. Another AFC North matchup here between the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. Well, the Ravens are three and a half point favorites there at home. How can you back the Browns right now? Is Baker starting? You know he's not healthy. Don't know if he's going to start. Is Case Keenum going to start? Baltimore allowing the second least amount of yards per game on the ground. Now, with Nick Chubb back in the lineup, this will be an interesting matchup. Is Lamar going to be back? Is that illness going to continue into this week? I'm assuming that they're going to have similar plans. Make the quarterback beat us in the passing game. Because both these teams know how to get after the quarterback as well. They're both in the top four of sacks. I just trust Baltimore's offense way more than I do Cleveland's right now, even with Nick Chubb in that lineup. I have Baltimore to win this three and a half and their money line for a huge divisional game. And then these two these two teams will see each other in Cleveland two weeks from then. Yeah, that is a really weird kind of schedule dynamic that I don't feel like you really see too often. Every year there's like one or two teams that has a really weird fact about their schedule. Like I remember a few years ago, the Raiders had played six or seven straight weeks without being at home, which is an absurd stat. It's weird to see now the Browns play the Ravens this week, have a bye next week, and then play the Ravens again. That's just really unusual. But I agree, the Ravens are going to win this game, and they're going to cover. The Browns are a little bit of a mess, and with everything going on out there, there's obviously some relationship issues in that organization, and that's hard to just overcome. You have to kind of air it out. you got to be men about it. You've got to really figure out where everybody stands, and, and right now, I don't think they've done that. I'm going to keep riding unfortunately, that the Browns are going to lose and and lose games frequently. And the Ravens, they want to maintain pace, especially while the Bengals are playing the Steelers and you would imagine get a win. Want to maintain that pace, want to maintain that lead. They're going to get the job done. 
our last game of this week. The Seattle Seahawks and the Washington football team. Not the sexiest Monday night matchup. That's going to be back-to-back where you're kind of like, I don't know about this one. At least yesterday we got to watch Tom Brady. This one not so much. Washington is a one-point favorite and the over-under is set at 46.5. I'm actually going to take Washington to cover in the money line here. Seattle has the second worst sack rate and pressure rate in the NFL like we were talking about earlier. And you heard my take on Russell Wilson. So I just don't think that Seattle is going to at any point start trending back upwards this year. I think this is going to be a very sad end to the Russell Wilson tenure. And the Washington football team gets the W, as you would say there, Stephen. The fall of Seattle has to stop eventually, and I think it's this game. Because Taylor Heineke cannot stay this hot or hot in his terms for this long. Now, this is not the same Washington football team defense that Russ and the boys struggled with last year. Chase is going to be out the rest of the year, and Russ is desperate to get this offense going. He's got a couple games under his belt, has yet to throw a touchdown since he's been back, and now he's going to be leading a hungry team across coast, Washington State versus Washington, D.C. I'm surprised you missed that one. Come on now, Wally. Uh, I was already looking at my uh, prop lock and drop it. What did you say? Washington State versus Washington, D.C. Come on, bud. Oh, okay. Damn. All right, I'm an idiot. I apologize, Steven. Yeah, get a map, you fucking moron. But I you know, I I think that Russ can get his boys riled up for this. Like I said, it's not the Washington defense that we're that we've been accustomed to watching from last year or a Ron Rivera defense. I think that Russ can get get his team back on track, just take some traveling to the other Washington to do it. And I like Seattle plus one here and their money line. If it's a pick 'em, I, I really, really like Seattle. In that pick them. That will bring us to the end of week 12 bets. And with that, you know what's up next. The last segment of the day, the prop lock and drop it were. Meanwhile, you get to pick our prop of the week, the game we think is an absolute lock, and the drop, the game that we're staying the furthest away from. So, Wally, take it away. What is your prop lock and drop it this week? I'm convinced the fact that I didn't start prop lock and drop it last week. It's the reason I did so well. And we'll have to see that going forward. Last week, I hit on the plus 410 defensive score winner. I'm actually even going to go with a bet that has even lower odds. I'm going with the first touchdown scored in the Dallas-Las Vegas game to be Ezekiel Elliott. I think you're going to see the Cowboys walk down the field early in that game, get a quick lead, and I think that's going to be on the backs of those running backs You just got to hope Tony Pollard doesn't vulture that touchdown. So on top of what I told you earlier, my sprinkle the Dalton Schultz anytime touchdown scorer, the longer shot here is the Zeke touchdown, first touchdown at plus 500. And then my luck, we're going to say the Chargers minus two and a half in mile high against the Broncos. I just don't believe that Denver is going to be able to run the ball to the level they're going to have to to beat this Chargers team. I know that they might win by only a field goal, but the Chargers are going to win this game. And I really do feel comfortable that they are going to cover. All they need is that field goal. They're going to score points on this defense that now, without Vaughn Miller, you imagine it's going to continue to fall off a little bit. And then my last one of the week, the drop, the game that we're staying away from. I said it earlier, and Steven said it earlier as well. I'm staying away from that Falcons-Jaguars game until we know about Cordero Patterson. It being at minus one, it turns into effectively a pick 'em. 
And right now, I don't even know where to start in this game. You have two very bad football teams that have very different styles of approach and ways to go about it. So I'm avoiding that game like the plague, Steven. Let's hear your prop lock and drop it, and then you can wrap us up. My prop to start off the week is yes to a safety in the game. Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions. Part of that whole Thanksgiving miracle thing, it just seems right. Like the Lions win or it's like a 2 nothing game and that's what it's – it's something weird like that. That's going to play a huge part. I like that. That Those odds are at plus 900. There you go. Just put $100 down almost get a grand back. I think that's a win. My lock of the week is the Los Angeles Chargers minus 2.5 against the Denver Broncos. I feel like we're kind of tooting the own – the you know the same horn here but i'm gonna ride with the team that's kind of hot right now and that offense is putting up the that amount of points the week after going to the going to mile high ready to get a win in the division to start stringing a couple wins together justin herbert needs to get his boys ready and i think brandon staley is going to be up for the task my drop of the week philadelphia eagles minus three and a half against the new york giants Yes, I love the divisional games. Yes, I love the three points. If you give me the .5, I'm going to take it. These are typically double-digit victories that Philadelphia has over the Giants, or if it's vice versa. Maybe this is the same thing happening again. Maybe I'm trusting Philadelphia too much. But I'm going to stay away from that game, and if it gets close, then I'll watch it. But I'm not going to seriously watch this or seriously put any money on it. That is my prop lock and drop it from the week, and that will bring us to an end of another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms at Facebook and Instagram at Loss of Down and Twitter down underscore loss. It's Thanksgiving week. Safe travels. Hope you have a great turkey day. Win all your bets here. I am Stephen Weed. He is Walter Lukashensky. Wally, do you have any parting words? I do, actually. Adrian Peterson, while we were recording this episode, was released... And I think there's a very good chance that means that that is the end of his NFL career. And if that is the case, four years can't come fast enough. We got so lucky to grow up in the era that we did to truly watch one of the greatest, not only running backs, but football players of all time. What he did in that season about a decade ago, where he was only about a dozen yards or so short of the NFL record, we'll never see domination like that again and that's why we're I think we see so many people so excited about Derrick Henry is because it really is the closest thing we really have seen to that level of dominance at that position so all the best to Adrian Peterson in his retirement and a very very just incredible career I think you said it best for someone who felt like he had a front row seat for a lot of it because he had a lot of great games against my Green Bay Packers. That's someone, him kind of paired up with Calvin Johnson. I didn't mind destroying my team because you understood what you're watching. You're watching greatness, and it's not a lot of times you're going to see not only running backs like that caliber of an AP or a Derrick Henry, but someone like that in your division you get to watch often. So hopefully he can make his way back in continue to contribute to his yardage and anything to move up in the NFL record book. But AP, congrats on a great career. Hope to see you again. And if not, happy retirement. Stay safe, stay full, stay drunk. Until next week, we are lost of down. Build money bags, Belichick's the GOAT.